Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. God will rarely use a man that he hasn't broken first. If he breaks you, will you still love him and trust him? Will you worship this God that you may not like? Have you ever been called up to speak to royalty, to represent a particular cause or issue? If the message you had to deliver wasn't a favourable one, would you be tempted to perhaps water it down to make it palatable and preserve yourself? The prophet Jeremiah had that choice. How did he respond? Tonight, Dr. Corbett is in Jeremiah chapter 21 as Jeremiah goes to prophesy to the king. So let's pray. Father, we've been singing that song, I Surrender All. And Lord, as I was aware of it, I was very aware of it. That that is my prayer. I surrender all. I give you all of my life. I give you my heart. I give you my mouth. I give you my time, my talent, my treasure. I give you all of me. And I pray, please, oh God, have your way in my life. Use me today and help those of us who are listening and entering into this get lost in the moment. That, Father, I won't be the picture of people's vision this morning. I'll just be the picture frame. And the Lord, you will be in the middle of the picture. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Jeremiah 21, and we're going to unpack the first six verses of this. And this is a continuation of what we're looking at. Jeremiah, the prophet who wept. We've made the point many times. This is somebody who just didn't deliver a message. This is somebody who felt the message. This is somebody who who gave his heart in what he shared as well. And today we're going to see that Jeremiah is called to uh, prophesy to the king. And what, what would you do if you were given an opportunity to speak to a leader of a nation? Would you be ready? Would you be able to have something to say? We want to explore that. Here's Jeremiah who actually has the king come and ask him to speak. What I hope to show you is that we're at a time when the Babylonians have come. They have come to more or less invade in one sense and the people, the inhabitants of Jerusalem have shut the gates. They've shut the gates. It's a, it's a walled city, uh, very difficult to scale. And what this is called is a, a siege So we now have the siege of Jerusalem. So we're in verse 1, Jeremiah 21. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent to him Pashur. Now, this is not the same Pashur, uh, Magal Mizabib. This is a different one. You'll see he's the son of Malchiah. And Zephaniah, the priest, the son of uh, Messiah, saying, all right, so what's happened here? Because sometimes we'll read the Bible and we'll go, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, Matt, not what the hell? Who, what's going on here? So we saw Jehoiakim, the old king, son of Josiah, who was the righteous king, was dying. And his son, Jehoiachin, quite young, uh, comes and surrenders at the instance of Mataniah, his uncle, who said, look, if, there's no way we can defeat the Babylonians. It's best if you just surrender, and this is what we've seen. So Jehoiachin, the young king, has surrendered. He's taken off to Babylon and spends the rest of his life there. Mataniah is made king, and as a, uh, an, an exercise of 
of a, a superior king has his name changed. The one who changes the name exercises authority over him. So his name becomes Zedekiah. So this is the Zedekiah we're now talking about. So this is what's happened. This has just kind of happened. There's another couple of things that have happened, and I want to hopefully show you those as well. Let's go to the second verse. So, we, so King Zedekiah has sent these two priests to Je, uh, Jeremiah, and I guess Zedekiah, Mattaniah, has done this for two reasons. Firstly, he... He has an internal struggle going on. There's something going on him that says, I know this God that Jeremiah has been talking about is the real and true God. That's one part of his heart. It's a big part of his heart. The other part of his heart is he's got all these people who are the power brokers who are keeping him as king, not the least Nebuchadnezzar, who don't believe that. And so there's this real struggle. How do I please these people and yet go with what I know Jeremiah is saying because I know it's right. So he now sends these two priests to Jeremiah and here's verse 2. Inquire of the Lord for us, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is making war against us. So after this time, Nebuchadnezzar comes back. So there's another... In fact, this chapter... This is going to mess with your head a bit. This chapter actually belongs after chapter 38. But I think that would be way too confusing. So let's just deal with it where it is. And let me just give you a sneak preview of what's actually happened between chapters 21 and 38. Nebuchadnezzar comes back because Zedekiah's advisors are saying to him, tell Nebuchadnezzar to get lost. We, we have God on our side he has pagan gods. Our God is superior to his pagan gods. Zedekiah had these people that said, if we can do the right rituals, the right ceremonies, we can, we can pronounce a curse on Nebuchadnezzar. God will come through and it'll all be okay. So that sets it up. So Zedekiah is not so sure. So he sends these two priests to Jeremiah. Here it is. Inquire of the Lord for us, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is making war against us. Here, here's a part of his heart. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to his wonderful deeds and will make him withdraw from us. Now, hey, this is not a bad thought. After all, we read in 2 Kings 35 about Hezekiah. He was in exactly the same situation. King Hezekiah, who is Zedekiah's great, 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 great grandfather, um, he was surrounded by the Assyrians. And, and you remember during the, the time of Isaiah the prophet, he, he does exactly the same thing. He sends someone to Isaiah saying, what shall we do? Here's the letter from the king of Assyria. He's saying, we're going to obliterate you guys because our gods are superior to your gods and we're, we're going to just kill you all. And Hezekiah gives the letter to Isaiah. Isaiah reads it and sends back and says, God will deliver you. God will destroy the Assyrians. And 185,000 Assyrians mysteriously died overnight. And God delivered. So no wonder Zedekiah thinks God can do this. God is able. But there's actually something else going on here. Remember how I said there's this thing in his heart and thing in his heart? That's not how you walk with God. And so 
reasonable request, but listen partly to what's going on here. If we were to say Zedekiah was praying to God, what would his prayer be? Something like this. Um, God, uh, get us out of trouble because we're your people and you should. Amen. And this is something I've observed. And I listen to the way people pray because your prayers reveal your theology. And I've heard people pray things like this. You know, something goes wrong. You're driving down the road, you get a flat tyre. This is a joke, right? This has never actually happened. But someone gets out and they go, flat tyre, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. You foul, deflating spirit, come out of this... Now, if I'm hearing someone pray like that, I straight away have a different picture of their theology than I may have had before I saw that. And the way people pray will often reveal their theology. Now, this word theology, theos, God, the Greek word God. Theology means how you think God interacts with life. That's theology. It's your picture of God and how you see this God interacting with aspects of life. So we talk about a theology of family, what God thinks of family. We talk about a theology of church, what God thinks of church. We talk about a theology of all different kinds of things. This is what we mean. So how you pray reveals a lot about your theology, what you think about God and how you treat God. And, and here we have Zedekiah really doing exactly what the pagan nations did with their false gods. That their false gods were gods who were angry and ticked. And if you can give them enough sacrifices or give them enough devotion, they will kind of reluctantly come through and you can twist them and trick them. And, and if you kind of do enough of the right ceremonies, then even if they don't really want to, they have to come through. And it's almost like Zedekiah is treating God like this. And there's a word for that. It's the word pagan. And Judah had a pagan theology. It's the kind of theology that goes like this. And I hear paganism all the time today, by the way. I prayed. God didn't answer. God stinks. You know, that's a pagan sentiment. That's saying, who does God think he is to not give me what I want? Does he know who he's dealing with? You hear this all the time. Oh, I'm not going to church anymore. I prayed God didn't come through and he can stick it up his jumper. I'm not worshiping any God that won't do what I tell him to do. When I tell him to do it, yeah, I might come to church today. God should consider himself lucky. <laughs> That's paganism. That's not Christianity. That's I surrender most, not I surrender all. Well, I surrender some when it's convenient, but certainly not I surrender all. I want to be a Christian, Christ in, Lord of my life. When, when I wasn't a Christian up until about the age of 15 and the lights went on for me, I saw myself for who I really was and it was not pretty. And something in my heart said, oh God, I need saving I need saving. And I prayed a prayer and I asked him to have his way in my life. And I've had a continual prayer since then. Have your way in my life even when I don't want you to. Have your way. Take control. 
I want God to have his way in my life. I don't want to pray like a pagan. Now, verse 3. Jeremiah said to them, Thus you shall say to Zedekiah. I want you to notice that this is not just Jeremiah's opinion because we go back, you know, just have a glance at verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. So there's something about Jeremiah. He was, he was ready to go. He was good to go. Verse 4. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, this is the word that came to Jeremiah. Behold, I will turn back the weapons. of Now, you know, I, I guess we're framing this in the context that Zedekiah is doing exactly what he knew that his great-great-great-grandfather Hezekiah did. And he's expecting that he's going to get from Jeremiah exactly what his great-great-great-grandfather got from Isaiah. And that is, yes, because you've now turned to the Lord, because you've now asked the Lord for help, I will deliver you. Oh boy, is he in for a surprise. Here we go. Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands with which you are fighting against the king of Babylon and against the Chaldeans who are besieging you outside the walls. And I will bring them together into the midst of this city. So what's Jeremiah doing here? Because the people had this concept that it wasn't ever God's will for anyone to be unhappy, sick, or poor, or taken over by foreign powers. And Jeremiah's presenting a completely different view of God. Because we make those things, health, wealth, and happiness, the benchmarks of success, don't we? If you've got those things, you must, you must be successful. And if you have got those things, according to, what is it, the last, is it 1 Timothy 6, it says you should be thankful. You should be really thankful. But if you haven't got those things, does that mean God has abandoned you? Does that mean that if, if you don't have health, wealth or happiness, you're out of the will of God? And now Jeremiah is about to present a different theology. This, this is a theology that that is different to pagan theology. Pagan theology has God over there. And when you need God, I'll just go and get him. He's in a bottle. Right? Where do I put him? Oh, here he is. He's, on the statue. He's a statue and I just take him off and we bow down to him and put him back when we're finished. He's a part of your life when you need him. That's pagan. Jeremiah's going to present a completely different way of looking at God. That's theology. And that's this. God is the very centre. He's the very focus. He doesn't revolve around us. We revolve around him. Completely different way of looking at God. Now, where did he get this from? He was grounded in the scriptures. How do we know that? Because in the opening chapters, we read that it was during the reign of, of the king Josiah that the scriptures were found and they were passed down. And this happened when Jeremiah was just a young boy. And so Jeremiah became, he would have heard his dad reading the Bible. And here he's, he's hearing Deuteronomy 26. And he's hearing about this God who was all powerful, all loving, all wise, and all good. That's the God I've come to know. And Jeremiah's presenting this God. Do you know this God? Is God to you all good? I hear people talk in terms of pagan theology and they go, I could never love a God who would allow suffering. 
I'm thinking, well, if you can't worship a God who allows suffering, there's no hope for your forgiveness because it was through the suffering of his own son that he saved the world. Now, I'm, I'm mindful that Jeremiah is combating a whole bunch of... Pri- two priests came to Jeremiah for the word of the Lord. Priests weren't hearing from God. Does anyone think this is a problem? I think it's a huge problem. I was my, I was, anyone, if you haven't read Bonhoeffer, do, this book by Eric Metaxas, do yourself a favour and, and buy it. And read. It's about, well, it, it's only 587 pages, but it felt like 1,500 pages the way I read. So it was pretty slow. But anyway, Bonhoeffer goes to New York and he goes to a place called Union Seminary and he, he starts to hear some of the preaching. And Bonhoeffer loved God and he loved the Bible, but this is what he heard. He said, there's not much... It's not much different between the college and churches. The sermon has been reduced to comments about newspaper events, he says. And he talked about going to churches where the Bible's not opened or referred to once. He says, well, what do you do with the Christian message? He says, so what stands in the place of the Christian message? An ethical, social idea is born. In other words, you get, you get all excited about social justice and caring for the poor and saving trees. So Jeremiah, his theology is coming from the Bible. And I think if people read the Bible, they would be absolutely shocked at the God they meet. He's all good. He's all powerful. He's all loving. Verse 5, this is what God says, I myself will fight against you with outstretched hand and strong arm in anger and in fury and in great wrath. And I will strike down the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast, and they shall die of a great pestilence. Okay, so let's, there's our six verses. Let's ponder what's happening here. Jeremiah is hearing that word. I mean, you, you imagine you hear that word. And now the king says, what is the word of the Lord? And you're thinking, this guy's got an army. If I say the wrong thing, he could deal with me swiftly, very swiftly. Here's the question. Who do you fear most? The king or God? Whose opinion matters most to you? What really impresses me here is that it's verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Verse 2, they come to get it. There's something in Jeremiah's heart. He was ready to go. How often do you pray this prayer? God, what do you want to say to me? Have you prayed that prayer today? Are you prepared for God to answer that prayer? What if you're here and you don't even believe there is a God? Then I really invite, I dare you, pray this prayer. God, if you're real, show yourself to me. Just that, that'll do. I'll walk away and leave you two to chat because I know something will happen. Jeremiah's heart was prepared. He'd filled his heart with God's word. He'd filled his mind with God's wisdom. He was ready to go. We know around this time that Jeremiah does all this and he's totally discouraged because King Zedekiah doesn't listen to him at all. He, he, he just, it, it's a battle. And the next 19 chapters or so is going to deal with this battle between him and the king. And I could, I could imagine, because I, I think I've, I'm not, not to the extent that Jeremiah's been there, but I've been there. When you're preaching your heart out and people still don't listen, they still don't get it. And as Sari mentioned, you know, sometimes you, you, you have such heartbreaking times in 
your walk with God because people who are your brothers and sisters walk away from God. They go cold in their relationship. It's heartbreaking. Was Jeremiah feeling like that? I, I, well, we know he was. We, we, we just saw that in the previous chapter. But what Jeremiah didn't know, as I mentioned to you, in that when the Babylonians are getting those guys ready to march them off to Babylon, what he didn't know was that there were people that were listening. When Jeremiah came before the king and he said, Thus says the Lord. And at one point we're going to read that he points his finger at King Zedekiah and in front of the whole court, the royal court, he says, You will be taken as a slave. That's the first bit of it. The next bit of it is this. And you will live to see with your own eyes, your own sons, killed. And that will be the last thing you see. Would you feel overly confident to share that in a royal court with soldiers fully armed? Jeremiah did. And as a young noble, maybe 16, 17 years of age, he, he's been trained from birth to be a noble. His name's Daniel. And he's watching this guy, Jeremiah, not that much older than him, maybe five, seven, eight years older than him, watching the courage of this guy. And Daniel... He doesn't tell anybody, but he's, he's buying this guy. He's, he's, I'm serving that God. The, guy, the God that this Jeremiah's talking about, I'm signing up for that team. And off goes Daniel. And we read in Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 3, that, that Daniel says this. I was, I was studying the words of the prophet Jeremiah. Wow. And Jeremiah had no idea. No idea whose life he had touched. When we were living in Riverside, we had a lady, two or three houses down across the road, came out and just, as we were getting in the car, she came up and she said, I want to thank you. Okay. What for? I didn't say it like that. She said, I just noticed the way you, you, you talk to your children. I see you talking to your children. My own family's broken. My daughter's family's broken. I see the difference. You're being watched. You're being watched. So here's the question. Is there a Daniel who's watching you? Is there a Daniel? You know, just a, is there someone like this happening to you? Is there a Daniel watching and listening to you? In that movie Courageous, one of the guys says in there that his dad was, was scolding him about drinking alcohol and telling him off that that's not what a, a good church-going Christian should do as his dad, an elder in a church, was holding a can of beer while drinking it. You remember that scene? And it's like, yeah, the kid can't hear you yelling at him because your life is screaming louder. So who's what, is there a Daniel watching you? Probably there is. Here's the next question. Who's going to speak? Let me speak particularly to young men. Who is going to speak today to kings, presidents and prime ministers? Who's going to do it? Who's going to speak the word of the Lord? You know, our hopes were raised when a church-going Christian was appointed to be the attorney general of this state. And within two or three weeks of that, 
and I won't name names, but you, if you know your state politics, you know who it is anyway. He blasted Christian interference in politics and began to promote euthanasia, abortion, embryonic stem cell research, and currently is advocating for state-based same-sex marriage. Now, I don't know what you think about that, but the issue is all of those, all of those policies are non-life. And if there's anything that God is for, it's for life. And I just think, man, who was your pastor? When you went to church on a Sunday, were you hearing what Bonhoeffer was hearing or were you hearing the Bible? And uh, actually, don't answer that because I, I, get, I get it. I, I, I hear who you, would, who you were hearing. Okay. And here's the, here's the question for all of us now. Jeremiah's presenting a God who's all-powerful, who says, it's not the Babylonians coming against you, it's me. I'm using them. It's me. I'm coming against them. And here's the question. Will you worship this God that you may not like? Even though the Bible presents him as all good, all loving, all powerful, all righteous. A.W. Tozer said, God will rarely use a man that he hasn't broken first. If he breaks you, will you still love him and trust him? Let's pray. Father, it is the highest call on our life to worship you. Help us to do that. Help us to be a people that no matter what we're going through, we love you, we adore you, we worship you. And Father, the words of that song, I surrender all. God, I pray that it will be our prayer. Oh God, I pray that it will be the prayer of our heart that we will surrender all to you. Please, Father, have your way in my life. Help me to pastor this church as a man who feels your heart. Father, fill my mind with your word. Fill my mind with your wisdom. Fill my mouth with both of those things and help me to shepherd those people that you gather to this church, we pray. Now, if you're here, eyes are closed, heads are bowed, and perhaps you've never done business with God, perhaps you don't know God. Perhaps there's something happening in your life where it's just got beyond you and you realise there's got to be more. There's got to be more to life. Then I'm inviting you to surrender to this God, the God who loves you more than anyone else in the universe, anyone else you'll ever meet. This God loves you most. And if you will surrender to him, he will give you not only a new start in this life, but he'll give you eternal life beyond the grave. And there's only one way you can receive that, and that's by inviting Jesus Christ to come into your life. And it starts just with a prayer, a prayer that says, Jesus, please forgive me. Come and live in my life and have your way, I pray. Amen. Jeremiah wasn't enjoying the message he had to deliver, but with God on his side, he stuck to it. More from Dr. Corbett next week. 
Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Prophesy to the King, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.